guys. Steve, you just put the chorus of that song up again for me, please, my friend. Thank you. Anyone else love that song? Not just because it's a good tune, I think it's a good tune. Come, Holy Spirit, we give you the room. Come, set our hearts on fire completely for you. We're hungry for the power of your presence. We're desperate for another move of Jesus. You know, as we're singing that, I'm kind of thinking, you know, there's a lot of my flesh that's looking at that, thinking I'm not sure how hungry and how desperate I am. But I tell you, it's great for our spirits to just keep singing that over our flesh until we get it. Keep singing. Keep putting out the invitation. Keep, thank you, Barry, keep stirring and stirring and stirring. Because I tell you what, we need the Holy Spirit to come. We need the power of his presence. Desperately. We may not realize it, but we do. So that's our prayer. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to, you know, so I've got up a little earlier than usual. The aim is to leave a bit of time and space for a bit more worship at the end. That was just a little teaser for you, I think. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message for this morning. And then we'll see where we go. Is that okay? Good. It has to be okay. I have the microphone. <laughs> you can walk out, I guess, but don't do that. Do okay, Father God, we just want to honour you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sing today. Praises to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And to sing that last song, which says, Come, Holy Spirit, we give you the room. And Lord, we are hungry for that move. We're hungry for your power and your presence to come and sweep us up our feet. Only you can do that. In a world of brokenness, we need you to come and put everything back together. In a world of sickness, we need the power of the healer. So many people are lost, so many people are confused, so many people need the light shining clearly in their paths. And Father, so this morning we just say, come to this place. Lord, we cannot change the world today, we cannot change everything out there today, but what we can do is offer you our hearts and our minds and our ears and say, come speak to us, come stir us, come change us, challenge us. Lord, my prayer, I guess, simply would be that you would just raise just a little bit our spiritual temperature, that, that hunger and desperation quotient on the inside of us. Come do it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Welcome. Did I say good morning already? Yes. Good. Excellent. Lovely to see you all. Uh, we are on a series called uh, Kingdom Culture. And this is week five. And actually today rolls on pretty much, in my mind at least, from last week. Uh, and last week's message was called Naturally Supernatural. And the, the idea of the message was, you know, we, we've got a choice. We can either do natural church, we can either do fleshly church, you know, our very best efforts and try and be well organised and or we can invite, open the door and invite the Holy Spirit to come in, recognising that he can do so much more than we can ask, think or imagine. And we can have a natural church or we can open the door to have a supernatural church. And of course last week we looked at the book of Acts and saw all that was happening there and most of it was pretty supernatural, that's for sure. So, obvious statement, I think, to begin with. If we want church to be supernatural, not natural, then by definition, we're going to be reliant on what God can do, not just on what we can do. 
as I said last week, we're not going to change the world by natural church. If it's limited to, to you, me, and we, we're in trouble. But if we will open the door for God to come in, there are no limits, no ceilings, no impossibilities. So the question becomes, I think, how do we, how do we swing the door wide open for God to come in and do what only he can do? And I think that's a good question for us collectively as a church. But also I think it's a significant question for you as an individual. How can you open the door wide in your life for God to come in and do what only he can do? Let's be honest, you've tried to fix it. You've tried to solve it. You've tried to change it. How different might it be if you were to open the door and let God come in. Let God come in. Let, let's ask this question. How could your personal life change if God had unfettered access? And then swing that round a bit. How could, how could church life change if God had our lavish and unobstructed invitation? That's why we sing, come Holy Spirit, we give you the room. I want to remind you of, again, of the parable of the sower principle. Talked about this in previous weeks, but at the end of the parable of sower, Jesus talks about a, a 30, 60, 100 fold harvest. But the point of the parable is that that harvest is only possible in the right soil. That harvest only grows in fertile soil. So if the seed is, is thrown on the path, the birds just come and pick it up. If the seed is sown on the rocks, it, it quickly withers and dies as soon as that sun comes out. If the seed is sown among, amongst the weeds and the thorns, in times they just choke the life out of the plants. Jesus said that worries and cares and lust and distractions just squeeze the life out of the plant. But, but if God's seed is sown in fertile soil, then the results are spectacular. I want you to notice in all four of those scenarios, path, rock, thorns and good soil, in all four scenarios, it's exactly the same supernatural seed. In all four cases. But it only grows in the right soil. Which leads for us to, to an overriding question. How do we make our soil fertile for supernatural harvest? And here, here's the premise for this morning. That if we can cultivate receptive and responsive hearts, receptive and responsive hearts, God can do anything he likes right there. You know, that throws it wide open. That is an environment that is ripe for God to move. So if we desire a naturally supernatural, if we desire the move of God, if we desire revival, if, if we want a place where God is completely welcome, 
where God can operate at his pleasure with no obstruction and no resistance. If we want all of that, we have to cultivate a certain soil. We have to, we have to offer him an open door. We have to present before him soft hearts. We have to break down the walls. We have to take off the mask. We have to let go of the past. We have to be prepared to step forward and to press in and to reach out. When he says leap, the answer is how high? He gets to dictate the terms. He gets to call the shots. And we simply yield and submit and respond. Now, if we want church to be supernatural, not natural, then we need it to be a lot more of him and a whole lot less of us. If you want church to be supernatural, not natural, we need to identify the constraints, the obstructions, the things that are holding us back, and we need to tackle them head on. If we want church to be supernatural rather than natural, we're going to need to take a move out of fear and into faith. We're going to have to put flesh to death and we're going to have to step into spirit. Let me summarise all of that like this. The more of God you have, the closer to him you walk, the quicker you run in his direction, the better off you'll be. Sounds like an obvious statement, doesn't it? You know, that applies to us as a church. More, closer, quicker. It also applies to you as an individual. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Just a, just a quick personal inventory. A couple of tough questions for you. Don't put your hand up. You can answer these on the inside. Do you consider yourself open or closed to the work of the Spirit? Now maybe dig that question a little bit deeper. Not just do I consider myself when I think about it on the superficial level. If I actually press in a little bit, dig a little deeper, am I actually open or closed to the work of the Spirit? Another question. Would you say that your heart is hard or soft? No judgment, just a question. Is your heart hard or soft? Here's another question. Would you say that you are quick to respond to God? Or do you tend to dig your heels in a little bit? Final question. Which of these are you? Think about your Sunday morning church context, right? Are you, let me hide right here in my safe back row seat. Okay, and I'm not even looking to see you in the back row, so you don't think I'm talking to you. Okay. Head down, Jamie. Just, you get away with it if you keep your head down. Uh, is it hide right here? Are you gagging for the opportunity to run to the front and to fall on your knees? Which is it? Do you know what? The veil 
of flesh has been torn down. But we still tend to hide behind it. The doorway to his presence is wide open. And yet we do still tend to wait outside. His promises are yes and amen in Christ. But we're still slow to accept them at times. His love has been proved without doubt and poured out without limit. And yet we're still reluctant to respond to his warm and gentle and affirming invitation. Let me tell you for a second what I see. I'm going to paint a picture. I see a culture, we're talking about kingdom culture, I see a culture that cannot get to the, quick, to the front quick enough for that response every time. I think this is, a, this is a key line. I see a culture where responding is seen to be a position of strength and not an omission of weakness. What are we doing on a Sunday morning at response time? We're looking around them going, okay, so they've gone forward again. <laughs> How sad. If only they, and so, so glad I'm not. Is, is that how we look at responding? Is it, oh, they're there? You know, or, or is it, do you know what? We should be at the front. The door's wide open. We have an inviting God who says, come. Why would we not be running to the front to respond? It should be like this. Praise God for Michael White. He's racing to the front yet again. There he is on his knees. Good for him. That's what I want to be like. Randomly chosen, Mike. <laughs> Randomly chosen. Just happened to be in front of me. I see a culture where if if I haven't had the opportunity to respond to God, I go home a little disappointed. I see a culture where the altar, kind of saying, the altar here at the front is full of people who are hungry for all that God has and is every time. I see people who are on their knees whose hands are outstretched, who are crying out to the one who is the rock and fortress, who is our saviour and healer. He is our comfort and strength. He is our peace and joy. And all that might sound slightly dramatic, but let me ask this question. Do we want what God has for us or not? I remember sitting on the piano leading a Matt Redmond song uh, about 15 years ago called Face Down. The words of the song are, we fall face down. And I'm sitting on the piano playing this song, and do you know what? In the whole church, not one person is face down. <laughs> I'm thinking there is something wrong with this picture. So here's my end of service picture. At the end, the call is something like this. Who wants more of God? Who wants more of God in their life? I mean, that's the response call every Weak? How can we not respond to that? Anyone like a little less of God in their lives? <laughs> who, who feels the call to walk closer to the Lord today? Because that's effectively what we're saying. Who needs God's help? <laughs> right. Who, who needs to grab hold of what's on offer this morning? To which I'd say, how can we not respond to that call? Yeah. 
As I said, the more of God we have, the closer to him you walk, the quicker you run in his direction, the better off you will be. Here's another statement. There is nothing, it's a double negative, let's hope I don't confuse you. There is nothing that God cannot do with a fully submitted, humbled, receptive, responsive heart. There's nothing God cannot do with that heart. Similarly, there is nothing that God cannot do with a fully submitted, humbled, receptive, responsive church. Nothing. And you know what? God's ability to move, I tried to get the words right for this, I'm not sure I quite managed it. God's ability to move is in direct proportion to our willingness to respond. So why don't we respond? And I said, I'm, I'm a pastor, so, so there's a simple picture in my head, which is, which is uh, you know, responding to, to a, a call to worship in a service. You know, fall to your knees, raise your hands, close your eyes, sing out. Or, or at the end of the service, the end of the message, you know, who wants what we've just talked about? Come forward, respond to that. That's the simple picture that I have. But you know what? Why don't we respond? That equally applies... To, to us personally, whether we are individually responding to, to the leading and, and the prompting of God in our day-to-day lives. Are, are we in that context? Are we responsive or are we resistant? So the question becomes, what, what holds us back? What stops us from being responsive? Just one or two quick suggestions. Actually, six, not one or two. First one is fear. I'm going to go through these really quickly. The first reason we don't respond is fear. And of course, there can be many factors behind our fears. But but the problem is that that fear always makes us retreat or or back off or or turn inwards. Fear always keeps us from what God has for us. So you can see why fear is such a prominent part of the enemy's plans. Number two, why don't people respond? Just call it peer pressure. I'm sure you know what that is. What will they think of me if? You know, I think that's understandable. But my suspicion is that that in reality, other people are thinking about us a lot less than we think they are. Because they're too busy thinking about themselves. And in Proverbs it says that fear of man is a snare. Oh, a simple picture in my head is, if we think about the idea of coming forward, right in front of you there's a, there's a snare, like a, like a hunter's trap. And if you take a step forward, you think it's going to snap around you. The fear, fear of man is that snare that's stopping you from stepping over that and responding to what God is calling so fear of man is a snare, but the Proverbs also goes on to say that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honour. It says it is a fountain of life. So when God is calling, which voice is louder? Is it the fear of man or is it the fear of the Lord? Number three, reason people don't respond is past hurts. Because, you know, past hurts tend to make us cautious. 
They tend to make us reluctant. They tend to make us close up and become self-protective. But you know what? Past hurts is the clearest reason I can think of to go running to God. After all, where will your help come from? Where will your healing and wholeness ultimately come from? But at the hand of the Lord. Number four is pride. Some overlap between each of these. Pride, of course, takes various forms. Perhaps in this context, it's something that says this, you know, I, I can do it myself. I don't need God. You know, or, or how about this? I'm busy trying to impress everyone here. What will they think if I go forward and embarrass myself? I'd say this thinking is very upside down in my view. In my eyes, they should be saying, look at so-and-so. They're always the first to respond. But it requires a little bit of a culture shift, which is really what the series is all about. Number five, uh, letter E, is, is we let flesh lead, not spirit. If you're tired, I know the clocks went forward, so if we're tired or if we're distracted or if we're irritable, the danger is we miss what God is doing. Remember we talked last week and said, when the Spirit calls, there is breakthrough power at hand. Don't miss that moment because you are listening to your flesh and not yielding to the Spirit. Number six, oh, seven, it's growing. Number six is ignorance of what's on offer. Let me ask this, do we really trust God? Do, do we not grasp the power of his word? Do we not know that the whole weight of heaven is behind every single one of his promises? Do we not understand that the one who is calling us is God Almighty? Now, last one, letter G, is bad habit. Can we unwittingly develop an unresponsive habit? Again, let me ask this question. Which of these habits is better? Number one, I always stay sitting right here. Or number two, if there's any way I can, I'm heading to the front as fast as my legs will carry me. You know the old line? I probably butchered it, but it goes something like this. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the same results you've always had. You know, maybe it's time to cultivate a new and a different and a better responsive habit. Okay, so that's the, that's the negative. That's why we don't respond. Let, let's ask the question, why should we respond? I have a very convincing argument. You're going to go, mm-hmm, very convincing. Number one, why be responsive? Number one, because you have God's lavish invitation. Three verses, Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Do, we, do I need to explain that? Is that a bit complicated, that verse? Where's safety to be found, folks? Why wouldn't we run there? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burns, and I will give you rest. What an invitation. Hebrews 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly 
to the throne of our gracious God. Do not know he's a gracious God? Why? Because there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. If God is calling, why wouldn't we come? If God is offering, why wouldn't we accept? Because ultimately God has and God is all that we need. He simply invites us to come. Number one. Number two. Okay, because why, why be responsive? Number two, because God can do so much more in your life than you can. Wonderful though you are. This, this is back to the natural versus supernatural thing. Here's a question. Do you want to limit yourself to, to self-help? To, to good intentions, to, to the result of your own sweat and stress and toil? Or do you want to open the doors to the transforming, liberating, resurrection power of an all-loving, all-seeing, omnipotent God? Pick route A or route B. Number three. Reason number three is that God longs to take you and me and we on a journey of transformation. I love the Max Lucado quote that goes something like this, God loves you just the way you are. But too much to leave you that way. He wants to give you a new heart. One just like Jesus. Two of my favourite transformation stories happen in the flip-flop between the Gospels and the book of Acts. The first one is is the Apostle John. Remember the Apostle John? He was, uh, and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder. Not a compliment. They were the ones who, when people interfered or got in the way of Jesus or started to contradict him, God, you want us to call down fire right now? Let's just zap them. That was John. You know who John is referred to? He's referred to as the apostle of love. He he refers to himself in his own book as the apostle whom Jesus loved. Not because he was trying to say, look at me, I'm the special one. But he's he's saying, look at me, I finally got it. I now have a revelation that God, Jesus loves me so much. And that completely transformed John from Son of Thunder into the one who wrote the the letter 1 John, which is probably the most intimate writing about the love of God in the whole of Scripture. God longs to take you on a journey of transformation. The other one is is Peter. Talked about Peter last week. Peter was irrational. He, He was impetuous. He was the one who denied Jesus. But God took him on a transformation. He became a man of faith, and power, and miracles, and incredible wisdom. Why? Because Peter had an encounter with Pentecost's fire. And John had an encounter with the Father heart of God. To which I say, don't miss your encounter. Don't shortcut your journey Because God is calling you and you are failing or refusing to respond to that call. 
Because God longs to take you on a journey of transformation. Number four. Number four, God waits for your invitation. And in general, so I'm not ruling out exceptions. In general, God will not force himself on you. But you know what? God is always calling. He's constantly beckoning and drawing you. But he seldom jumps up and down on your neck. And do you know what? Your response is his opening. Or, or perhaps better put, your response to his invitation is just the opening he's looking for. God waits for your invitation and in general won't force himself upon you. Remember uh, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well and he, uh, he makes a very famous statement in John 4 verses 23 and 24 and hopefully it's going to come up. It says, the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so, so those who worship him must worship in, in spirit and in truth. The King James said, the Father seeketh such to worship him. I have a simple picture in my head. And it goes something like this. God, God's eye, on a Sunday morning, if you like, is out there roaming. And he's kind of hovering around and he's going from church to church and he's looking and saying, can I find worshippers? Can I find a remnant of believers who will open the door wide to me, whose hearts are soft and responsive? And I, and I get the picture, it's... it's God hovering around, and he goes, there, that lot. They're on their knees. They're ready, and they're yielded. And God says, no, that's a place I can move, and that's a place I will move. To which I say, let's be that place. Number five, going through these quickly. Number five, God can do so much more in a willingly broken vessel. Here's a question for you. Can God break through that outer shell? You know what I'm talking about. Can he break through? Because God can do so much more in the soft-hearted. Now, there are two types of broken. Type one is those who've been beaten to a pulp within one inch of their lives by the world. Broken. But there's another type of broken. The other type of broken is willingly surrendered. It's laid bare. It's wide open, yielded and humbled. And you know, I'm convinced that we can choose which of those two broken we want to be. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 4. This is what the Lord says. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my 
word. God can do so much more in a willingly broken vessel. And the sad thing is, many people will not let God in until they're the first type. Until they have been broken up, beaten up so badly by the world, they're in such crisis that then and only then do they turn to God. That's the tough road, folks. Or we can fall on our knees. We can throw our arms wide open and say, God, here am I. I break myself open. You don't need to worry about the outer shell. Here it is, Lord. Rip. Number six. Reasons why we should respond. Are you getting the picture yet? And he's saying, one saying, shut, run, so I can run and respond. Number six. Though grace freely gives, it takes faith to receive. You know, just because God has provided it doesn't necessarily mean to say that we're walking in it. You know, we have to accept it by faith. We, we have to reach out and receive it. That's what faith is. We have to step out and take it. That's what faith does. And you know, responding is your way of reaching out. I'll give you a an illustration, it's slightly trite. You know, there's a Christmas gift waiting for you, nicely wrapped with a bow underneath the tree. But you know, you still have to walk across the room. You still have to take hold of that gift. You still have to unwrap it. Otherwise, it'll stay right there, unreceived. So I think the sense is there's so much that God has for you that are still wrapped underneath the tree. So many of those promises, so much of what God has provided for you, the, the, the freedom, the liberty, the, the breakthrough that you desperately long for is still there. You've got to step out by faith. You've got to reach out and take it. God has freely provided it by grace, but there is a faith element I think that'll be next week, incidentally. Number seven, we're getting there. Every time you come forward to respond, you step out of pride and into humility. James 4, verses 6 through 8. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So much in that little passage we could dig into here. But I'll just say this. This verse makes it clear that pride is resisted, but humility is graced. Pride, to God at least, is like a brick wall. But humility is like an open tap. You know, and, and pride doesn't have to be, be an ugly arrogance. Pride can just be an unnecessary self-sufficiency. But you know what? A humble heart is, is ripe and ready to receive from the hand of a generous father. But a proud one reckons they can make it on their own. 2 Chronicles 7.14, well-known verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's where it all starts. That's a trigger. I have a message called the trigger. Humility is a trigger that opens the whole of this verse up. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. But it starts with humility because humility is graced and humility is like an open tap. Number eight, there is breakthrough power available when the Holy Spirit is on the move. Talked about this a little bit last week. It takes a supernatural seed to produce a supernatural harvest. But if it is Holy Spirit seed, if he is the one who is speaking, if he is the one who is calling, and we respond to that, His dunamis power is at hand. To which I would say, when when, when the Holy Spirit speaks, when the Holy Spirit is on the move, seize the moment. How desperate are you for your breakthrough? Are you still looking at that snare on the floor? I could put it simply like this. We used to say in the olden days, something like this, when the anointing is flowing, get Under the flow. Last one, number nine on my list, and I'll tie it together and wrap up. Number nine is we all have the opportunity to be a catalyst. You know what a catalyst does? You have two uh, chemicals and you kind of put them together and not a lot happens. But if you introduce a catalyst, a catalyst isn't actually part of the reaction, it doesn't change in the reaction, but you put that catalyst in and bang, all heat's given off and it accelerates the reaction and bang. That's what a catalyst is. My, I've said this before. My brother often looks around the church and says, who'll be a spark? Come, put your hand up and be a spark. He'll say, thank you, there's a spark. And there's a spark. And there's a spark. And you'll be a spark. And you'll be a spark. And all of a sudden, we've got, we've got multiple catalysts all putting themselves into the reaction. You know, you might have seen that little video about, about the first responder. How powerful is the first responder? Because do you know what? Your obedience, your responsiveness makes it so much easier for the next person. Who wants to be the first person to walk to the front and get on their knees? But I don't mind being the second. If Michael White showed up there and he's there, the enemy's going to be after him. He's not going to be worried about me. I'll just hide myself nicely in behind there. Before you know it, the trickle becomes a flood. Here's a key line. Responsive people produce more responsive people. I'm convinced part of our our spiritual leadership call is to set an example and go first. Okay. Summarize all of that. Said earlier, again, trying to phrase it right. God's ability, God's freedom to move It is in direct proportion to our willingness to respond. I think I've painted that picture this morning. This is why historical revival has always been precipitated by by repentant people crying out before God and falling on their knees. If we want to see God move, folks, hope it's not just me. You're here. You've given it away. If we want to see God move, if we, if we long for his strong presence, tangible presence and his manifest power, 
if we want to experience the fullness of his love, his saving grace in this place, if we want an increase in the gifts of the Spirit, if we, if we want to an outpouring of, of his kabod glory, we must do all that we can to work this receptive, responsive culture. Let, let me paint the picture again as we wrap up. What would church be like if it was full of radically responsive people whose, whose hearts were wide open and soft and surrendered, who were hungry and attentive and reliant and compliant? Is that not a place God can move? In my eyes, I see an orderly stampede. I see a people who cannot get to the front quick enough because the front means, yes, Lord. In case there's any confusion, that'll get very different results to, no, Lord. No, we need to be a responsive people. You need to be a responsive person. If we're going to see God do what we long to see him do, what we want to see him do, what we need to see him do. And you know what? This is a culture that has worked. Yesterday I saw one of the farmers as I walked the dog plowing his soil. You know, that, it's got to be constantly worked. It's got to be constantly cultivated and turned and fertilized and watered if we want to create this receptive, responsive culture. It won't happen overnight, and it will require intentionality, hence the message, I guess. But you know what? This isn't difficult. It's not complicated or mysterious. But it is hugely effective and powerful and crucial. So I'm going to keep promoting it. I'm going to keep offering every week response opportunities. Every week. Until we get it. As I said earlier, God cannot, will not, and does not work with resistant, proud, closed, unresponsive hearts. God cannot, and will not, and does not work in a resistant, proud, closed, unresponsive church. But there's nothing that God cannot do with a fully submitted, humbled receptive, responsive heart or church. Which leads to one of my favourite questions, last one. One of my favourite questions is, what if? What if? What if we were to, to cultivate and to work and to perfect that culture? For me, it's a tantalising thought. And I'm convinced that it is key to us as a church, as a people, moving to the next level and beyond. I've asked the worship team to come forward. I'm going to pray, just wrap this thing up. Try to leave a little bit more time this morning to worship, to invite you to respond. Don't you love a message where the pastor preached on something and says, right now, I'm watching. <laughs> CCTV cameras. 
and I'll be checking up on you and giving you a score. Okay, it's not like that. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But you know what? We need to work this culture. We need to soften and open. Then God can come. And this isn't a mystery, guys. It's pretty simple. I'm going to pray. Father God, I just want to say that we love you and we worship you. You are awesome. We're reminded this morning of your greatness and your goodness and your love. Father, a reminder that you are calling us. You are always calling us closer to you. Why would we run in any other direction but straight towards you? Simply, Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would Would you tear down the walls? Would you break off the masks? Would you remove the snares? In our own lives, in our own hearts, that we might truly be responsive to you. And then, Holy Spirit, I just say, this is your church, this is your soil right here. Would you come work it, till it, cultivate it, until we are a place where you can move unhindered. Holy Spirit, would you come and do all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.